We are going to continue in the second week of our series, Connecting Sunday to Monday. The idea of, of understanding how our spiritual life, our Sunday worship, is connected to the Monday to Friday. How our, how our work life, how our family life, how everything else that takes place when this time is over is connected to this time. And even bigger than that, how everything that is taking place in our everyday life is connected to our walk with Jesus Christ. That we don't live a compartmentalized Christian faith. That everything that we have, all that we are, everything that we're a part of, that all of it is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. There is no separation from one to the other. Last week we looked at uh, four principles to help us as we began the series and in, in wanting to understand how things connect. And uh, we looked at, at things such as God Himself is a divine worker. That He is the, the master craftsman, if you will, as the creator of the world. And that He, is, he Himself uh, is one who, who worked and He made us in His image. And since we are His image bearers, part of, of His image that we take into this world is, is the... Is the uh, uh, is, is the image of, of, of being a worker, of one who is being productive, one who is contributing, one who is seizing the opportunities as well as the responsibilities that are afforded to us. He gave us very special responsibilities as, as His image bearers. We also saw that His design for people included work. That work was not something that, that was a result of sin. It wasn't a result of the fall. It was something that, that, he, that he created for a man and woman to do before sin even entered into the world. And then we also saw that the same God who inhabits our worship receives our work. That whether it's on Sunday morning or on Monday morning, that, that God is the audience of all of it. And so I hope that this is, is helpful for you as we consider these, these principles. And uh, we'll be looking at a couple uh, more, this three, actually three more this morning. I know that when we hear that phrase, work is worship, it may sound strange to hear. And I know that in your mind you're thinking, boy, if you only knew my job. If you only knew what I had to do tomorrow, if you only knew who I had to work with tomorrow, um, well, next week we're going to be talking a little more about anxiety in the workplace, difficulties in the workplace, struggles in the workplace. So we will touch on that. But I want us to see whether we are students going into the classroom, whether we are retired from our vocation, whether we are, are, are still in, in, the, in, the, in the Monday to Friday uh, uh, work week, where whatever stage in life we're in, and whatever station God has put us in. Some of us will be in the corporate world. Some will be in the classroom. Some will be in the home. Some will be in the neighborhood. Some will be in community organizations. You have different roles in which you are fulfilling. Some that, that impact uh, your family. Some that will impact colleagues or neighbors, community. That in each of these cases, our faith weaves in and out of all of what we're doing. And so each of us, as we, as we look to this week, we recognize God has given us responsibility. We have responsibilities. Now, you fill in the blank on what yours are because they may look very different than what mine are. We also will be given opportunities. And again, you can fill in the blank on what you foresee to be the opportunities for this week that you, ha that you can seize for the sake of Jesus Christ. And I need to look at the ones for me as well. And so I realize the application to these principles looks very different in the diversity of our church. But we can all see that these principles do apply to us as followers of Jesus Christ. So this morning we're going to pick up 
in the, in the passage that we left off with last week, and that's in Colossians chapter 3. So I invite your attention to Colossians 3. We're going to look at a couple of verses uh, in this chapter. And uh, there'll also be another passage that we'll look at this morning. But Colossians 3 will be the main place where we will begin. Paul is writing to a church in, uh, in Colossae. And uh, this is in modern day Turkey. And uh, he's writing to them about new birth, new life. In fact, if you, if you look through uh, Colossians chapter 3, you see that, that, he, that, he's, that he says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. What does he mean by that? He's saying your old life, in verse 3, verse three, your old life is gone. Your old life has is, 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 is been buried, and you have a new life. Look at verse, uh, uh, verse 12. He says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And he lists things, compassion, kindness, humility. So this is what we put on because we have a new life. If you look back to verse 5, he's telling us what to put to death. Things like sexual immorality, impurity, evil desire, covetousness, lying. So if you look at verse 9 and 10, you see this contrast. The old self, the new self. The old ways, the new ways. What life was like outside of a walk with Christ and what our life looks like now that we are in Christ. That's what he's telling the church there. And then as you get down into verse 18, you see that that this life is something that impacts other relationships. There's a word here to wives, a word to husbands, a word to children, a word to fathers and, 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 and parents. And then a work to workers. Looking at verse 23, there's really a summary statement here by saying, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So in the context of this chapter... Seeing all that is, that is taking place in chapter 3, we see the summary being that all that we are, in all that we're doing, even if it's a word or a deed, is done unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you, does that perspective not change the way we view Monday or Tuesday? Does that not change the way we enter the classroom or enter the workplace or look at our responsibilities in the home or, or, uh, or in our community? This is the, this is the idea that, that he, is, he is Lord of all, that we find Him. We find God in the workplace. We find Him in the normal, everyday experience. He is there. And it's for Him. And there's opportunities there in which He can be glorified. And that the world can see a difference in the way that we Live our life in these different arenas. Here's the first principle for this morning. The first one is this. There is no secular work. It's all sacred. It's all sacred. For the life of the believer, everything we do is sacred because of whom we are serving. In our lives and even in our work. In fact, if you think about who it is that you're serving, you see that, it, that, it's, that it's all important. It's all for him. Verse 23 clearly says this. It's that we do this as for the Lord. Verse 24 simply says, you are serving Christ. So it gets back to the idea that we touched on last week, that that at times there can be a temptation to have a compartmentalized life. What do I mean by that? You're in church. You're worshiping. We're all focusing on the Lord. We're, We're singing to Him. We're praying to Him. We're looking at His Word. 
We're communing with Him in, 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 a, in a very real way as a body of Christ. But if we're, if we're not careful, we'll think that this is one segment and that when this is over and we go out and start tomorrow morning in the classroom or the workplace or wherever, that all of a sudden it's, it's a different perspective, that it's no longer for Him. It's the, it's the regular life until we get back again and, 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 and enter the church, right? It's almost as if we could have a big switch at the back, right? And that when you come in in the morning, you can, you can flip the switch to sacred. And then after, as we do all this, then we can go. And then you can take that big switch and you can slam it down into secular, right? Sacred and secular. The worship and the work, right? Do you see the, 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 the way that under Colossians 3, that really doesn't make sense? That really, that switch is flipped in the, in the new life, in the, in the new creation that we are in Christ. And it stays there. And it impacts everything about our lives, even the mundane, even the day-to-day responsibilities. So sometimes what we as a church have to fight against is not sacred versus secular work. It's sacred versus secular thinking. Secular versus sacred attitudes. Think about the difference if the body of Christ collectively... And even us is a, is a small part of that. If we could take the sacred mindset into that day-to-day responsibility. Can you think of the difference that that, might, that that might make as we go into the school tomorrow? As we go into the workplace? As we go into other community responsibilities or opportunities and, and even the home? How different things just might look. Last week I I quoted David Miller, a professor who has done a lot of writing about the integration of faith and work. Here's here's a statement that he made. And uh, and really it's a statement to the church and and to to the preacher. Here's what he says. Whether conscious or unintended, the pulpit all too frequently sends the signal that work in the church matters, but work in the world does not. It is perhaps no surprise then that workers, business people, and other professionals often feel unsupported by the Sunday church in their Monday marketplace vocations. That's kind of a stinging statement, isn't it? You might not feel the sting, but I feel the sting. Okay, he's he's talking about how the church is encouraging or not encouraging the people of God in the majority of their time, right? I've had this perspective before of the the sec- sacred and the secular. I've had that. I've had to struggle and work through that. I've had to try to help others understand that. And at times I've gotten it wrong. I can remember several years ago uh, in my in my former pastorate, I was uh, I was I was actually meeting with with Lee's dad, Bill. Bill came into my office and we're having a conversation and, and uh, he's a great guy. He's been a good, good friend to me for, for many years. I've known the family for 15, 16 years now, I think. And, uh, and Bill was struggling with something. Lee, I hope it's okay to share. I'm already started now, right? So I guess I'm going to have to finish it, right? Lee was, Lee was leaving medical school. He felt that God was specifically calling him to, to walk away from medical school and, and, and pursue a full-time ministry position, which we're all grateful for that, aren't we? I am for sure. Well, his dad was wondering about how, how is this happening? You know, and his dad's a doctor as well, and, and his son was, was following. And, and so I, I'll never forget that day. We're sitting in my office, and I look at him in the eyes, and I meant these words with, with everything that, 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 that I could mean. I looked at him and said, well, Bill, you just got to understand. Lee has a higher calling. And I meant that. And, and, and he took that, and he understood it, and he knew what I was saying. But I don't think I said what I should have said looking back. I don't think I should have said that he had a higher calling. 
You know what I should have said? Lee has a different calling. Do you, th- do you see the distinction there? Because I was unintentionally promoting the idea of this is sacred, this is secular, this is higher, this is worth more than this. I was creating a separation between the secular, in my mind, and the sacred. But God has taught me and He's helped me understand. And, and actually, there is a movement right now that is, that is really rethinking and understanding the theology of vocation. The idea of calling. And seeing that, that there should be a, a very healthy integration. There should not be this separation. And that even in the church, or as, as Miller says, in the pulpit, we need to be very clear at, at making sure that we are affirming all of life and all the calling. Not just this or that being better, one better than another, or one being more sacred or important or higher than another. So that's why I say this first point here is very important. There is no secular work. Not in the life of the believer. It's all sacred. It's all sacred. Here's the second point. We're called to pursue excellence in our work. And we have to go no further than verse 23. And we see it there again. Same verse we read a minute ago. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Now, I know we don't probably talk about doing things heartily that often. So I, I read a, some other versions say, what does the King James say? What does New American Standard say? What, 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 is, this, what is this getting to? And, and basically the other versions were, were saying it one of two ways. Either work heartily or work at it with all your heart. Give it your best. Make sure that whatever you do, whether it's in, even in word and deed, that you are giving it your very best. You are doing it with excellence. Why? Because you're doing it as unto who? The Lord. It's, it's a sacrifice to Him. It's part of our service to Him in how we live our lives and how we fulfill our daily responsibilities. Andy Stanley said it this way. He said, who you work for determines what you do and how you do it. That could change tomorrow morning, couldn't it? Thinking through from that perspective on who it is at the end of the day that you and I really work for. How would we want to work unto the Lord? What would we want to offer to Him? If we're assembling something or creating something or we're working on a report or we're working on a presentation or or we're teaching in a classroom or we're studying, how would we want to do that as unto the Lord? How would that affect the way that that we are interacting with one another in in the home, even as we see here in Colossians 3, all the verses that speak to the home? There is no separation. It all comes together. One person said, if this is all true, then faith... And work, not, it's not only possible for the two to, to, to be integrated and to mix, but it must mix. It must be integrated. We have to take our faith into our daily responsibilities. There's a uh, quote that I want to share with you from a lady named Dorothy Sayers. And Dorothy was an author back in the, uh, I believe in the 40s, 50s, 60s, lived in England. Um, she was a contemporary of C.S. Lewis and a friend of his. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I had not learned a lot about her until I started studying about this theology of vocation. And she, she came up with, 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 a, with a very interesting quote. And just to give you the, the background for it, she is, she is writing a statement to how the church can prepare a believer for the workplace. And she uses the example of a carpenter. 
And she says, how should the church equip the carpenter for the workplace? Here's what she said. The church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. Now let's stop that for right there for a moment. Listen to what she's saying. That in her perspective, sometimes all that the church has done is said to the, the person, in your, in, your, in your time away from the church... Don't live in excess. Don't get drunk. Be a good, be, what was it? Uh, uh, do not be disorderly in your leisure hours. And oh, by the way, make sure you come back to church on Sundays. Is that really enough? Is that even really touching on what this person needs? Here's what she says with the rest of this quote. She said, what the church should be telling him is this. That the first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. Think about that as a carpenter. That that's the first place we start. Yes, those other behaviors, they're important. Those other things flow out of his, his everyday life. But, but in thinking about integrating one's faith into their life, into their workplace, it should begin with excellence. But sometimes that just isn't the case. How many times have you had a dealing with someone, maybe even a, a business dealing with someone who really promoted their Christian faith? Have you ever had that happen where you, know, you picked up the business card and saw the Christian fish and thought, well, I'll go deal with them. I'll do business with them. Or maybe there's someone in your office or in your, your company that, that you, know, you, you see that, that, that they promote their Christian faith in, in different ways. But sometimes when we see that, we see work that's not excellent. We see... We see people just trying to, to get by with doing the least. Or maybe, in some cases, they've not even done their work with integrity. Now, let me ask you, what, 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 what message does that send to a watching world? If we are known for our faith, if we have expressed that verbally, or if, they've, if people have recognized it in, in, uh, in, in other interactions with us, wouldn't it make sense that we would want to honor the Lord and glorify the Lord by doing good work? Does anybody else think that? Maybe it's just me. Do you think so? That we would want that to be part of our testimony? Here's a person that, that does good work, shows up on time, gets the work done that he says he'll do, does it well, treats people with respect. So we've got to be very careful to make sure that there's consistency between what we say we believe and how it works out in our daily life. Several years ago, I was doing a men's Bible study in Kansas City, and we were, we were, we were working through this idea of why work matters, uh, and I think the name of the study was Taking Care of Business, and just really, as, as men, we were getting together and thinking through some of these very same principles. And there was an, an, an illustration that was shared that, that I'll never forget, and it was about a man who was a believer who worked in the construction industry, he was a, a superintendent, uh, a general contractor, if you will, for residential uh, uh, home building. He said he was having a particular day that was just not going very well. It seemed like no subcontractor was showing up on time. They didn't have the materials that they needed. There was one issue after the other. They were, it was just all not working out. He was having a bad day. And he said he, he went to the front porch of this house that was under construction, and he just sat down. 
And as he was sit, sitting there, a car drove up and pulled up onto the property. And the car pulled in, loud music, and he said, who is this guy? And he got out of his car, long hair, tattoos, had a bucket in his hand, and he walked up to the porta potty. You guys know what a porta potty is, don't you? Okay, big plastic outside bathroom, right? And the guy, the guy walks right into that thing, closes the door, and he just, he, who is that? He had never seen this guy before. And he watches, and all of a sudden, the porta potty starts moving and shaking and banging around, and he's like, "What is, what is he doing?" And the the, the guy comes out and walks right up to the front, and says, "I want, I want to talk to the to the superintendent." And he said, "Well, it's me." He said, "I want to tell you something. We owe you an apology." He said, "The condition of that porta potty is deplorable." And he said, I want you to know, you are now on my route. I work this region, and that porta potty is now mine, and you are my customer. And I can promise you, it will never look like that again. It will never be in that condition. He said, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. In everything that I do, I do as unto the Lord. And the guy, the superintendent, was just speechless that this porta potty cleaner had just addressed him like this. And the guy walked back turned on his car, music going, pulled off. And the guy said, I just sat there and I put my head in my hands and thought, what have I just witnessed? But it was as if the Holy Spirit was convicting him about the attitude, the contrast of that man's attitude. Even the guy cleaning the porta potty that, that he could do it as unto the Lord. He said, how could I? How could I not just work through and, and try to give glory to the Lord as well? Now think about that job for a minute. I mean, what if the local porta potty company said they had some openings? And we put a, we put a clipboard on the back for anybody that was, that was interested. How many people here would really be jumping up to go and, and, and get that job? Anybody? Okay, we only had a few in the first service too, so that doesn't surprise me. But if that man with that job can have that attitude, I think it is a great example for us. Great example to see that the Lord is glorified. In fact, if you look at verse 17 there in Colossians 3, I've referenced it a couple times, but let's look at it together. It says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything, everything, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I think back and I remember that the Bible tells us that Jesus also had a vocation. Do you remember what it was? He was a carpenter. For 30 years, he was a carpenter. His father, Joseph, earthly father, if you will, was a carpenter. And you think about Jesus doing that work, and yet that didn't keep him away from the mission that God had called him to. In fact, you could see that Jesus obviously was obedient. Jesus was following the will of the Father. And He was a carpenter. And there was a season of about three and a half years where He was full-time and He was teaching and He was proclaiming the kingdom and, and so forth. But think about those 30 years. And you might even ask yourself, why, why, did you, why, why did Jesus do it for 30 years? Why not just 17 or 18? Why not just... Why, why, wasn't, why wasn't His proclamation ministry longer than just three years? A lot of questions there. But I think if you think about it, he was a carpenter and he would have done his work with with excellence. And, uh, and I have no doubt that when he turned out a product, the people were pleased that he gave them what they asked for, that he did his job well. And I think that as we take our name, his name with us, that I believe that we should pursue excellence in our workplace, too. Number three. Third and final principle for this morning. Vocation provides opportunity 
for mission. And the video that we, we saw this morning touched on that. That there is an integration there with vocation and mission. There's not a separation. In fact, if you, if you, if you hear what they were saying in the video, there's expanded opportunity when we see our vocation as an opportunity for mission. By, by being an example, by being able to show through our work and our words how Christ has changed us and impacted us. So often we use the language of mission, but we do so to refer to, to church positions or missionary organizations, or we speak of missions as they relate to events or to trips. And you know what? All of that is true. We do missions with trips. We do missions with events. We do missions as we invite people to, 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 to ministries within the church. But folks, it doesn't stop there. Do we realize that even in our vocation, in our responsibilities of this week, that mission is also part of that? The mission doesn't stop, that, that, there's, that there's contacts that we have, people that we can influence, lives that we can touch and bless and minister to through those normal, everyday relationships. And for some of you, it'll be in the workplace with someone who's really struggling, and they're just really trying to make sense of things. And God puts you in a, in a proximity to them that you can be an example. For some of our students that are here, you know, they, they interact with people that you and I may never meet, but there may be a student that, that is just coming out of a situation that is so difficult and so hard, and they're not sure that they can hang on any longer. And what happens? God takes one of these students and, and, and somehow puts them in the same path, maybe in a class, maybe in, a, in, a, in an activity, in the hallway, and you have an opportunity to be an instrument of God, an instrument of His blessing, of His grace. In these ways, sometimes though we're not thinking with mission, right? We're, we're thinking of just trying to get it by and get it done and finish the task, whatever it is. And so I would like to challenge that for each of us, myself included, to say, let's look at this week and see the opportunity that is there. Back in the, in the days of the Reformation, 16, 1700s, there was a very similar dialogue happening to what we're talking about today. There was a reaction against things being sacred only in the church. And a lot of the reformers were writing about the integration of one's faith and one's daily life in, 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 uh, in, into, the, uh, uh, into integrating them together. And one of the verses that they would use is 1 Corinthians seven twenty four, and trying to show that God is glorified in daily routine. And it says this, So brothers, in whatever condition each was called... There, let him remain with God. And it's not saying that there won't be changes in life. It's not saying that we won't have, have changes in job or changes in location and so forth. But what it's saying is that in that life stage, in that, in that situation in which you find yourself, you don't do it disconnected from your walk with God. You remain there with Him. That, that, that penetrates that particular situation. They spoke of the missio dei, the mission of God, and they spoke of that happening both in the vocation as well as in the daily life responsibilities. That they're, 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 they're trying to understand this idea of God's providence with God's calling and seeing how He has placed people in these places and it's not been an accident that we interact with the people that are around us. That it's all part of His providential call. That we are to be salt and light. That we are to flourish in our work, also in our worship, in our home. That it's all there connected. Here's how Tom Nelson, the author of 
work matters. And uh, Pastor, uh, this is how he says it. He says, Christian vocation or Christian calling calls each of us to indwell an extraordinary, ordinary life. Do you catch what he's saying? Our lives will at times be pretty mundane, pretty routine, pretty ordinary, right? And that's where God shines. Yes, He can shine on those seven and ten day mission trips. And boy, I hope you'll take advantage of Him. And I hope that you'll, you'll obey His call when you get that call to go. Yes, He will shine when, you, when, you, when we're doing events and things here together. And you're involved in ministries here in the church. Yes, we are for that. But we also see that it's extraordinary living in the ordinary, in the daily routine, that God is at work and that he is wanting to use that opportunity as well for his glory. Gene Veith, a uh, author for World Magazine, said it this way. He said, the doctrine of vocation is not just a teaching about the value of work. It comprises a theology of the Christian life. So I hope that as we step back and we look at this topic, that we are seeing the completeness. We're seeing the idea that God is wanting to be involved and and, and flow through everything that we do. I want to close with a model that was shared five years ago at a conference called Lausanne. Lausanne. Uh, the Lausanne Conference is one that's, that's well known, known among mission organizations. It's, I don't think it happens every year, maybe every couple of years, where these mission agencies get together and they think about the status of the gospel in the world. And different people present ideas and they present research and statistics. And, and I found it interesting that in 2010, as they were thinking about global missions, the topic of vocation came up. And a guy by the name of uh, Mark Green was a speaker. And he claimed that the global mission movement was missing a very important piece. And look at what he said. He said, here is the model that we currently have. To recruit the people of God to use some of their leisure time to join the missionary initiatives of church paid workers. Now you may or may not agree with that statement. But I think that there's an element of truth there. That sometimes that's how we view missions. Again, speaking at a missions conference. He's saying sometimes that's what our people think missions is. Is getting some time away to go and do a a mission trip or a project. And it is. And we affirm that. But we don't stop there. He says that's the model that we have. He says let me offer you the model that we need. And that's on the next screen. To equip the people of God for fruitful mission in all of their lives. Do you see the difference between that? Do you see how it opens up the way in which we view not only this week, but it opens up the way we view all of life? That it's all about fruitful mission. Yes, we need those other endeavors. Yes, we need to be faithful. We need to give. We need to pray. We need to go. I will affirm that and I will, I will lead towards those ends. But I don't want to do that at the cost of trying to make a separation Those things and those initiatives and those activities should instead be an overflow of what we're already about here locally and in our daily lives. Fruitful mission. Fruitful mission in every aspect of life. Well, Lord willing, we'll pick back up next week. 
We're going to talk about some of the challenges on the workplace, some of the, uh, some of the uh, anxiety and stress that can come from that. And so we will be looking at that as well. And then uh, hopefully, uh, as I said, Lord willing, we'll have uh, a couple of more weeks to, to continue looking at this. And I'm praying that God will just continue to build within our minds this, this perspective and this understanding so that we don't have a separation from Sunday to Monday. Would you bow with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that you are concerned about every aspect of our life. We thank you that you have given us a calling and that that calling doesn't end when our worship time is over. And so, Father, I pray that you will, you will dispatch us today, that you will send us forth into this community, into our homes and our classrooms, into our workplaces, into the, the different community responsibilities that we have And God, may you dispatch us for your glory. May we be on mission for you this week. May we we fulfill our responsibilities as you empower us. May we do so with integrity and with excellence. And Father, I do want to, to take a moment to also pray for any that are with us today that have not yet placed their faith in you. That they don't have this disconnect of Sunday and Monday because they've not yet connected with you. Lord, I pray that you will do a work to draw people to yourself today. Give anyone that's here that does not know you a a desire to follow you, to trust in you, and to see how you can forgive them and to put the the pieces of their life back together. So God, we just ask that you will take the the words today that we've read from from Scripture and the thoughts that, uh, that that we've given and use them for your purpose and for your glory. We thank you also that we can give back to you in this time of, of, of giving, these tithes and offerings, Lord, may you be the one that receives them. We know that we can give back to you because you first given to us. And so we pray that you'll take what's given now and bless it for your purpose. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. All of God's people said.